being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong um and perhaps and i've saved the best for last was is the link to columbia is the most well-known for our purposes alumni physicist russell targ one of the chief mm. architects of the sci lab at, at um SRI, um, Stanford Research Institute. Every time he comes up, I'm just like, don't say Russell Tard. Don't say Russell Tard. <laughs> Russell Tard. Sorry. Oh, you just you just derailed me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Um, yeah, Stargate as as that program, interesting name, later became known as. But in fact. Russell Tard, there's like a a a direct link to my my friend Egon, my former friend Egon, um, which I want to go. So the first thing I found was that like Egon was, and this is according to Ramus, like based on two. Where is my where are my Egon notes? Right. Here we are. Ramus said that Egon Spangler was named after a, a kid, a refugee, Hungarian refugee. He went to school with named Egon, but the name Spangler came from Oswald Spangler, which uh, you guys could get into in a second. And then Ramus claimed that he got e first, Ramus claimed that he got Egon's looks from this architect's he saw like in a magazine this crazy architect, theoretical architect, no less, um, named Leon Creer, um, who had like horned rim glasses and like crazy bushy hair. Um and I'm sure that maybe that is where that name came from, which is interesting. But I, as part of this read, I read so many books and watched like almost all of uh weird reads with emily which by the way i just fell in love with her her stuff but i oh, read yeah. remote viewers by jim schnabel which somehow i had a sizable parasite library i somehow never had that book so but reed said he was reading it and i was like well i better read it too and and i'm reading this and i come across this description of russell tar targ targ um and I, I I wrote you guys and I was like, oh, this sounds like Egon to me. I was really excited. This is the description of Targ. Quote, Targ was the very picture of the intense scientist, the thinker disengaged from prosaic reality. He had amazing frizzy and wavy mass of red brown hair and his deep mm. monotonal voice conveyed a sense of authority and dispassionate gnosis. To his height of 6'5", Though ex through extraordinarily thick eye magnifying glasses, goggles that seem to protect him from the absurdities of the ordinary world, I was like, "That sounds like Egon to me." And I and I sent you guys a picture, and I was like, "Oh!" And then, like right at the end, like is like two weeks ago, as there's like no more time to really develop a lot. That's when I came across Serfati's claim. Um that 
And so, by the way, Sarfati ends up being like all connected to all the SRI guys and everything. But he says that Egon Spangler in Ghostbusters was actually a parody of Russell Targ and that Aykroyd knew about Targ because of when he was filming Blues Brothers in 1980. Well, he was filming, I think, in the late 70s. But um, a guy named George Koopman was involved. Um and so I was like, what? How come Aykroyd, Ramus, nobody has ever talked about like Russell Targ being, why haven't they just come out and said this? And so I'm There's like, well, no good reason why they should know Russell Targ. Right. However, as according to Sarfati, Aykroyd knew about him because um, of during, yeah, because during the filming of Blues Brothers, George Koopman was involved and so like finally I come I find his obituary Koopman um, and he is noted as having been involved in Blues Brothers and as a, actually as a stunt coordinator but what's not noted is that Koopman acted as a Department of Defense cutout like to, to provide funding for various people groups and activities both adjacent and directly related to SRI Psy research, most notably the Esalen Institute um, and Sarfati himself. And it was suspected that Klutman was um, like a Department of Intelligence Agency undercover um, checking up. He was kind of on the nut desk or the weird desk. So his job would have been to keep <laughs> track of ongoing UFO type and paranormal like, developments. Um, and so there is at least other claims that Russell Targ, who, by the way, right, he graduated from Columbia, is actually the um, inspiration for the Egon character. Uh, so, That's yeah. amazing. That That's like... amazing. Because, like, I definitely, like you said, like we all did, surveyed the literature. And, like, I don't think anybody has made that connection, right? Besides Servati, no, no. Um, he Jeez. just that that, that that description in in Schnabel's book was like, I know that man. I know that that is Egon. Mm-hmm. Um, even like I think like, and this is a little less direct, but like in Ghostbusters too, that Egon's working as a physics professor. He's back actually in Ghostbusters too. He's back at Columbia. Now he's working as a physics professor. He specializes in quantum theory and he's in not a parapsych lab, but something called the Institute for Advanced Theoretical Research in Columbia. So this is supposedly happening after Ghostbusters 1, um, but before Ghostbusters 2, which is 1989. So I don't know if it's a stretch, but in 1985, after leaving SRI, the other architect of the SRI program, Hal Putoff, <laughs> becomes director for the Institute of Advanced Studies um, in Austin uh, as theoretical and experimental physicist, specializing in fundamental electrodynamics, researching uh, quantum mm. vacuum states. So I just, I, I just, yeah. So there it is. Like I had, we had already been pursuing kind of the SRI angle on this. And then it was like the universe being like, you're not wrong. Oh, damn. That's incredible. 
you guys, I'm supposed to because we are not even into the second part <laughs> of the movie. But like this, these are the things like the bigger. These are like really the bigger issues. Like and so. <sighs> For sure, no worries. Okay. All right. So Reed, now you had uh, a thing or two to add on something Wendy had mentioned, right? Yeah. So so Wendy mentioned. Um... Columbia uh, professor of logic and ethics, uh, James Hyslop, who was instrumental in founding or refounding the American Society for Psychical Research in uh, in 1907. Um, his um, assistant um, was a uh, Episcopal minister trained in normal psychology named um, Walker Franklin Prince. Um, oh. And uh, Prince um, had, uh, 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 this is coming from the book, um, The Elusive Science, Origins of Experimental Psychical Research. Um, Prince had been involved in um, what was then called psychical research, what would become parapsychology, um, it, back to at least 1910, um, when he encountered, uh, he, was, he was a rector of uh, All Saints Church in Pittsburgh, Um he encountered a bizarre display of multiple personalities in a young woman named Doris Fisher. Uh, and um, Prince and his wife took Doris into their home for support, treatment, and study, and eventually adopted her as their daughter. So immediately, oh. um, we've got um, hmm. a, a, kind of a connection that uh, lends greater plausibility to the existence of a brain program at Columbia specifically, because Columbia linked psychical researchers were doing weird shit with kids um, as far back as uh, at least the 1910s, 1920s. Um, what's particularly weird about this anecdote um, is that the age is not given. Um, she's just sort of listed as a young woman. Uh, and um, the fact that the, the um, experimenters uh, adopted her as their daughter. Uh, right. so, I'm not sure what um, their understanding of Doris's uh, case was multiple personality, um, at least in my understanding, had not yet been developed as a specific diagnosis in the 1910s. No, um, that's that's something that's being kind of like um, that's an term by there the was author. fugue states like there was because there was the famous born case like, hmm. yeah, I feel like the demon hypothesis was like probably at at that juncture still more prevalent in people's minds than multiple personalities um gosh that stuff goes back like i know i look out into it in aberration like they're early like how did this diagnosis develop and i wonder mm -hmm. if i came across that case and just it didn't you know i didn't huh um yeah so like yeah no age is there literature like to, to like talking about how this um these other personalities manifested or anything that you saw yeah the passage in the book that i i'm, I'm getting this from let me find it ah here we go okay so um one of the personalities uh displayed what seemed to be uh telepathic abilities and another uh claimed to literally be uh doris's guardian spirit and exhibited a maturity Oof. uh out of step with the rest of her behavior um so this is like that that sentence just to me suggests that this was maybe less of a young woman and maybe more of a um uh maybe it was maybe a girl in her in her late teens um the and i just other... interject like the guardian angel thing it's like or yeah. guardian spirit that's like 
directly related to like the several things that we've talked about um you know like ranging from like socrates and his daemon to like crowley ideas of like familiars and shit like and the holy guardian angel yeah exactly exactly um yeah high slop when he established or what as you said more properly said reestablished that institute he actually set up two branches one was psychical and one was for abnormal psych like so that and then the abnormal psych one at least in what i read like went kind of nothing ever came of that but that's interesting that like like he immediately tied abnormal psych and things like probably whatever they were calling multiple personality into psychical Mm. research huh um yeah i'm sorry well i mean it reminds me of the ghostbusters film where he's like talking about the ghost sighting and he's like is there a history of schizophrenia in your family you know this 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 he rattles off and you think that those would be discrediting the ghost right but But they could be be screening yeah Uh yeah for Ooh. <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah oh really oh you you there is a history of mental illness you should come <laughs> you should come to our lab much to think about hey. um and actually well yeah yeah cool was it was there something else you were gonna say to you before i no, the um, the the uh, I've got more to say on on um the American Society for Psychical Research itself. I can get into that now, um, or or we can talk about that um in conjunction with the Ackroyd family later on, um, because it's more more to do with the general milieu of of, of psychical research in the nineteen twenties. Maybe maybe that one is like will fit really well with that or the mm. acroids pancakes yeah. go away <laughs> oh sorry for those who don't know wendy's recording at an ihop <laughs> and they keep throwing these like food <laughs> at me and i'm like oh, leave me alone i have a cat i have three cats and well, one is named i it's all a cat maniac one is john doe too who is aka do dozer the dozerian and then the <laughs> third one who is like the the youngest he's old now too because the other two had such like kind of sinister names i have pancakes mccoy um, and he <laughs> is actually evil i mean so yeah he he knows we're doing this and he's doing everything he can to shut me up <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I can't, I I can't stop him. Like uh, I have a cat door, and I locked it, and he has found a way to like open, just like throw himself <laughs> into the door, and so like I'm just at his mercy, really. Well, okay. they do say cats can see ghosts, right? Yeah, and I've seen cat when I was a kid. Like I also had three cats as a kid. Those were female cats, but I had one that would like see shit in corners and get uh, like hiss and stuff, and it would be like hissing at nothing, and and. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it must be a ghost. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't, my belief in ghosts, like, I don't believe in a ghost per se, as far as like, uh, but I, I think there can be an imprinting of energy that happens, yeah. maybe. 
And in fact, the prep for this has really made me rethink some of my beliefs or what I even, you know, I'm pretty, um, I, I can be agnostic. I can kind of believe things and not believe them. But like this whole prep has made me really examine like, well, what? Yeah, so whatever. Examine my beliefs. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Yeah, for sure. Let's see here. Mm. Okay. So, so I think, yeah, what we were on the timeline of the film, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, so we dealt with Columbia. So like well, another thing that Ramus, well, first of all, Ramus says he's the one that came up. So I feel like accurate, and for reasons we'll talk about, he like all the stuff that's maybe more overtly kind of what you might call spiritualist or theosophical. That kind of stuff could have more without, but like Ramus ends up saying like, and he doesn't do it on purposely. That, that the most sus stuff though is stuff that some <laughs> stuff that Ramus ends up claiming like he came up with. So the idea to give um have Peter Bateman give the shocks to the student, he says he came up with that and it was inspired by he says it was inspired by the Milgram experiment. He says, I thought it would I don't know how like I can't talk like him. Actually you can kind of talk like him, Jimmy, but he's like, I thought that was a very interesting psychological problem. <laughs> Uh, I loved the notion of the hero of the film giving electric. I loved the notion of the hero giving electric shocks. It's an interesting moral edge. He says a delightful setup, um, and that it spoke volumes about Vakeman. However, um, a brief initial investigation of psychic phenomena made by the CIA under the label Project Ultra in 1961 not necessarily mk ultra just ultra by john gittinger uh cia psychologist associated with the human ecology society um he admitted this is crazy admitted to knowledge of experiments in not testing psych but developing psych psychic developing esp by giving electric shocks to subjects when they got the answer wrong so in that case it was like not to mm. test your psi ability but to make you develop say you know that's like incredibly concerning when you also think about how so much of the torture that they were developing at the same time involved applying electrical shocks to people yeah yeah, it is. Like in just the formal, like we captured a gorilla in South America, we're like giving them electric shocks. Like, huh? Yeah, that, like, and that's all I have on that. And like, um, and so there's a few things I've come across that I'm probably going to keep developing. Um, and that, that, that's, that's going to be one of them. Um, so while we don't, wanted... oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to point out that, that like with the electric shocks parallel between the you know uh creating uh esp ability and, and torture that jimmy pointed out sensory deprivation is a big feature of both torture mm. and uh, psychic investigation techniques it seems like it was maybe developed around the same time which raises very concerning questions about the weaponization of if you can create the feeling of psychic ability in someone is that a potential torture method can, so I, just, gonna, can yep. I just add one more is yep. another feature that seems to apply to both is like unmooring people from their sense of self, like 
not just through sensory deprivation though yes that but also just like undermining who they think they are and then giving them a different idea of who they think they are that they were doing that to like the psychic kids and then in a different but similar setting to like in people being interrogated um so interestingly when peter brings up egon for panning him drilling a hole through him said through his head uh and egon's like it would have worked Ramus again says that he's the one that came up with the idea for Egon to trepan himself. He said it was inspired by John Lilly. Um, mm, my res- God, right? Like, yeah, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Yeah, and so that Ramus, do you know us, John Lilly? Like, what the fuck takes us right back to the sensory depth? Right. I mean, forget the trepan. Although, I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm gonna look at it." So yeah, there was a guy named. Um, and, and actually, in fact, in the comics, it's like, don't even bring up chirpanning to Eon or her. He'll go, so apparently, Eon has like this big, but there was a guy named Hugh Bart Hugh Hugs, Hughes, Dutch librarian, proponent of chirpanning in Amsterdam. Um, he was, a, he was like training to be a medical doctor, but they refused. University of Amsterdam refused to give him his degree because of his advocacy of LSD research and because he named his daughter Maria Joanna. In, in 1964, he published um, a book, <laughs> The Mechanism of Brain Blood Volume, BBV, um, pro- pro- proposing, like, uh, advocating for trepan nation and that it could be used to enhance functionality brain functionality uh, and he had this whole theory about it um using a foot operated electric dentist drill he he did drill a <laughs> hole through his head in 1965 but but that that's just like a thing about the, like the popularity maybe or weird counterculture trepanning stuff but yeah ramus says that came from john Lilly, but he just says yeah he uh proposed but drilling a hole in his head, but that does take us back to the sensory depth because you know, obviously, he was like a big sensory depth like tank guy, and it and that like put him in contact with these supposedly with these um entities, and um, then some sensory depth you know goes, then you get into the Gans field, which maybe read or some you guys want to talk about it how how read does sensory deprivation tie into psi research wait 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 real quick i just wanted to ask is john Lilly known to have worked on trepanation because i mean i know he was in a bunch of things but i wasn't even aware that he even thought along those lines i actually didn't know that either but it's like but that's what ramus said and um that's what Ramus said. Yeah. I'm going to have to look at that. <laughs> Ramus said he described him as re- researcher in dolphin communication who proposed drilling a hole in his head. But yeah, I've never that I remember or recall. Yeah, neither might, did I. Though I will be... note that dolphins do have an extra hole in their heads. Though obviously huh. for different reasons. I haven't read the primary works of, of Lily. I may, I mean, I hope like eventually I, I will, but it, it, I don't know where or when he proposed to 
um even if he didn't ramus seems to think he did <laughs> yeah but... nothing comes up on a first googling though that doesn't mean anything necessarily interesting yeah, because lily is mostly especially with like google algorithm lily is mostly known for like the 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 the, the sensory depth and the dolphin right. stuff but like there is like this underbelly of other shit he did mm-hmm. um, he also I believe is connected to the Esalen Institute so I think we were going to ask Reed about sensory deprivation but oh, what yeah. specifically Wendy no 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 yeah Reed so you you mentioned sem- sensory depth being um like I just wonder if you want to talk about that link between psi and sensory depth. Yeah, I mean, the most, as, as you mentioned, um, the 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 most, um, I think, uh, well known, and and I think the listeners maybe have seen an image of this before. Um, link is the Gansfield experiment, um, which is uh, a, a classic um, method in parapsychology where you take, um, I think it's usually uh, uh, you have a ping pong ball. And then you use that as sort of like a light blocking mm. uh, 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 eye shield to put over. You put one half over um, each eye of, of an experimental subject. Um, it's often combined with um, either earplugs or uh, white noise as well. Um, I don't think that's true. Um, it's not uh, the, the, the purpose of that isn't to, to create a blackout condition. So I think they use like a, a red colored light um, as well. But the, the point is to create um, a... Um, a, a static visual field um, because there's there's a, a, a phenomenon where when you're presented with um, a, a, a a static visual field, um, you're more likely, especially if you're looking at that for a longer period of time, to start hallucinating um, or, or at least experiencing visual distortions that can then eventually lead to full-blown hallucinations. So in the Gansfield experiment, you're, you're set up like this. Um, and then another experiment, mental subject tries to uh, beam thoughts at you to try to influence um, the visual distortions or uh, the, the hallucinations that you experience or to just transmit a message. Um, like uh, Wendy mentioned, um, there's other um, applications of sensory deprivation in psi research, like the uh, John T. Lilly and, and his uh, uh, sensory deprivation tanks and taking LSD and trying to commune with, uh, you know, the um, supercomputer at the center of the galaxy or whatever. Uh, but I think that's the most famous um, application. Yeah, um, it was used. So, so 1970s Mario Vav, Varvagolis at Mayamity's Dream Lab in New York City uh, was using Gansfield, uh, working with Charles Norton, um, I think from Duke, but uh, looking at P- PK, like, so like, telekinesis and scans field um it i think and and it comes into the remote viewing stuff too where i think it partly maybe or part of what i've read is that it's supposed to also um decrease the signal to noise ratio like so kind of by being in in a sensory depth situation you, you you can concentrate better but also it comes into like in the remote viewing stuff, and I believe that this Schna- Schnabel that talks about this, um, but situations where, like, uh, like 
someone who's been abducted and, and I believe he talks about, I don't know if he was a naval intelligence guy or some kind of high level defense guy. He get, and I uh, excuse me for not remembering the detail of that. It's all in there. Um, he gets kidnapped, and he's being, being held hostage. And I believe this maybe also relates to Patty Hirsch. And then starts like he's like, I think they're gonna kill me. And he starts just trying, like, please, you know, like I am out of options here. And he's like trying to beam like to to his wife, like help me, like trying to send her messages. And he's in a not total sensory depth, but he's isolated and, you know, partial sensory depth. And uh, and it seems that it amplifies the, the ability, at least according to the parapsychologist, to, to send or receive those signals. But and then, the, of course, the danger is a year, you're like, you pick up either through hallucination, your subconscious or actually like disincarnate entities um later gansfield would uh they would develop and this goes into the cybernetics stuff but like the auto gansfield which would be um doing this but then like bringing in machines and trying to actually influence machine like like computers and random number generators and stuff but Every, I think if you if you look up the image of Gansfield, like if your listeners do, everyone like you might everyone's probably seen that image. And and actually, uh, the student with the stuff like all the electrodes on his head kind of reminds me of that. As does later another image um, where yeah yeah okay. Rick Moranis right 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 and that's Egon again who has developed like brain imaging that he he hooks Rick Moranis up to, but. Like that looks, except for there's no shielding of the eyes. It kind of looks like the Gansfield image. Okay. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, right. Like, let me know if you find that link to to Lily and the trepan. Going back to the trepanning. Yeah. No, for sure. Because like that is so interesting to me, and I know there's all kinds of like that goes into like the middle ages and they were like studying that and like just weird shit because it, that's kind of like that's a note that i want to make too uh i found out that gittinger was studying spanish inquisition torture manuals for inspiration for his mk ultra research <sighs> that's uh cited by i'm pretty sure john marks in the search for the manchurian candidate book Damn. and so that kind of like okay well they were doing trepanation back then what does it do what are the real effects it probably does something various things like this is fucking crazy um yeah that people like just not even medical doctors like it's bad enough but then like that just like people were like oh yeah like there was like society of trepanning like in that whole hippie time like mm -hmm. you know like really tied in with the lsd stuff like this subset of people there at least for a while really advocated drilling a hole in your head um, jailbreaking and voiding the warranty on your own skull <laughs> right. 
Yeah, and then and then you could even then it goes like to that third eye imagery too, like yeah. Mm -hmm. Ugh. While we don't get to see all of like their research, like the when, when Peter says, like, you've been investigating every nut case in the five boroughs or every schizo, he actually says in the five boroughs that claims to have a paranormal experience. Huh. So one of the things that this is one of the things that um that recluse 
he 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 touches on this in the book, but this like this is something that I'm not putting down. Like I am gonna gonna go gonna keep going with this, but um, it reminds me of the UCLA Parasite Lab, um, and this woman named Thelma Moss. So just off before I get into it, do you is this like a commonly known thing? Like maybe it is commonly known, and I just didn't know it. No, I don't think so. Yeah, me neither. Okay, so this woman, her name was Thelma Ma. She was like a writer and um, an actress uh, in the 1950s. And she had, because she had stuff like, you know, her kid died. I think her husband died. Like she, she was like, had problems. She was constantly like persistently d- just depressed. But she became an experiment in the 50s for LSD psychotherapy, which as we know, like that was when they're you know that you can't untie that with defense um stuff but she actually pub okay yeah 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 no i i realized when she came up in other stuff but yeah go she um she published a book about her lsd treatment which i have not read called myself and i but she wrote a script but like before we get into ucla in 1958 she wrote a script a science fiction film called the colossus of new york which was i haven't seen it it was put out by paramount pictures um she won like international peace prize for this a brilliant scientist dies in an accident his father a noted brain surgeon implants his implants um his son's brain he takes the kids the, the dead kid's brain son's brain into a large humanoid robot turning him into a cyborg to carry on his important work of developing new food sources but the, unfortunately once he does that when he puts him in the robot body he loses key attributes um that like define him uh, his humanity and he and he starts saying like that there's no reason to develop to 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 find alternate food sources for the slum people of the world, um, simpler to get rid of them. And then he also, when he gets like his brain transferred into those robot, he, he, ex- he develops um, basically ESP and strange mental powers, the ability to control humans remotely, just like through thought, uh, death rays emanating from his eyes. And he goes on a rampage at the United Nations and kills several people. That was the script that she wrote. So anyways, she goes on. She's a very smart woman. She becomes a psychology student at UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute. At the same time, interning at Wadsworth Veterans Hospital um, and and designs under Dr. Oscar Janiger, who I believe was a person who treated her uh, with the LSD, designs her own LSD experiments. Um, of course, Janiger's supplier was Al, Al Hubbard. Um, yeah. Mm. So, who also is connected to SRI, but like, so really interesting. The person that's running the UCLA neuropsychiatric institute is can we can we guess who he is i want to guess is he perhaps a jolly fellow 
He is none other than Dr. Jolly West, who won't, I guess, like, I'm just, I'm just stuck with this guy. It's like everything I do. See, here I thought, like, bringing Wendy on to talk about <laughs> Ghostbusters, I thought it'd be a fun diversion <laughs> from your, you know, more vital work. And here it is immediately and directly it, relevant. It, 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 Jolly West. <laughs> so, like, well, one of the, so his, like, archives are right ucla but one like there's a whole restricted section which they say that they you can request it but he there's and one of the things that is still restricted is his like parasite stuff but he was head of this lab so there's some conflicting roles but i'm gonna get into that in a second um not only though was he the head of the the neuropsychiatric institute while Moss, Thelma Moss had this parapsych lab there. He also, um, let's see, what was his role? He was also involved with the Wadsworth Veterans Hospital. He was involved with a lot of VAs, as you can imagine. But um, so at that same time, he's on the advisory council, behavioral sciences division for the Air Force Scientific Research, which actually ties to Puerich, which will I'll to get into the West Puerich tie later. But um, yeah, so so at the same time as he's got all these other connections with Purich and Moss. He's also on the board of directors for the Institute for Research and Hypnosis. Uh, so anyways, Ross, or I mean Moss, not Ross, is, is, is she's like, she gets her PhD in psychology in 1966 at UCLA and she begins to teach there. Um, this is under under Jolly West. And she, she in 68 heads up the Parasite Lab um, and she teaches psychology but also parapsychology and she conducts she's obviously it's a lab she's conducting parapsych research supposedly supposedly like so this is unfunded by ucla but this lab was able to operate for quite some time and um it supposedly was a non-sanctioned entity and they just kind of let it operate but it operated for quite some time um, and it, it, it relied on grad students. Like, first of all, it tested students, just like we see a Ghostbusters, for their psi ability. But it also was running, it was kind of two-pronged. It was running courses um, to help people develop their psi ability. Um, and it was also doing kind of the Ghostbusters thing where they would get they were get they'd get calls or all over the place like, oh, my house is haunted or I, you know, whatever their spirit or, you know, they would get calls and they would go out. And some of the people involved in that lab have said, like, we would get all kinds of calls constantly. And we had to like go out and then we had a screening process, which is much like the Ghostbusters where they like, you know, ask them a battery of questions and including like, you know, mental health. Um, okay, I'm going to try to do this quickly, but uh, she continues while, like at the same time, she's continuing her experiments with LSD um, and how it could be an ESP trigger. 
and in behavior modification. Um, so now I, I haven't found it yet, but as far as this lab being unfunded, one of the, the researchers who was a grad student, well, first he was a subject of experiments, then he became a researcher in, in the lab. Um, he wrote a book. Is this book is, is ridiculous? He he is like he remind he's like the David Politas of he's he's just like a really a boomer. He complains and like about everything in this book. Where is this book? Um, and it's one of the things that like this is the one I'm like ah no one's ever heard of this. And then of course Recluse cites it, but it's called Aliens Above Ghosts Below: Explorations of the Unknown by Barry E. Taff. And uh, Barry Taff has said, and he and he said this like not in in actually the book, but in like on, online art like interviews and stuff that the lab attracted the attention of a lot of media, but also government agencies, including CIA, NSA, ONI, DIA, DARPA, FBI, and the LAPD who often paid numerous visits in civilian clothing, um, which, what the fuck? Um, and he doesn't, but he doesn't really seem to think there's anything weird about it. And there's accusations. There have been accusations that, um, about him, about Taft, which he's, he's a pretty, like, he's, he, he could comment. He's kind of a grumpy guy. So I want to be careful. Um, but there have been accusations that, like, perhaps I wasn't experiencing a poltergeist that was, like, torturing me all those years. He, because Barry Half, Taff, I guess, was also um, pretty well-versed in, in unconventional weaponry. But also that, that there have been accusations that... Some of the stuff was being induced experimentally into people exactly who 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 claimed to be having these experiences. But but I think Moss seems to have mm. been apparently she seems to have been a true believer of she tested Yuri Geller in her lab of like when Yuri Geller first starts getting tested at um SRI. Uh she 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 tests Geller at that psych lab. Um Oh, let's see. Blah 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 blah. It, it, they claim. Well, this Barry Taft guy claims that like he he was um investigated several instances and saw firsthand. You know, like things moving across the room that shouldn't. You know, um, even disembodied voices. Like I was reading that in his, his book last night. That might have been right around the time when I was like, I can't. I just got sick, but like um, the the disembodied voices, which he he never really quite explains. Although he's also he also would go on to become like a UFO disinformationist. Um, Moss consults on the Exorcist film, um, you know where yeah, where a young oh, girl really? is like demonically possessed. But their biggest case, the most popular case that that lab was involved with and that was towards the end was the entity case um 
And I have the book, but I haven't read it. And I cannot get my hands on the movie. For some reason, this has become, even though it's kind of a classic, it's become impossible for me to to get to access. But it um, it's this woman who lived like it, it, in that area, and um, she she had like I think it was four kids. And this is 1974, and she claimed that um, these invisible entities were raping her and torturing her and like she apparently really was plagued like no matter what the reality of the situation was but that was the biggest case they were involved with and um and especially taff like moss kind of oversaw it and was involved slightly but um yeah so that's called the entity and uh let's see and, and apparently Although Taff is really the only one that talks about it, like everyone involved in researching this saw weird anomalies, um, kind of like skinwalkers too, like floating orbs and strange things materializing out of nowhere. Um, and we, we will get to skinwalker because it is my opinion. And I, I think the opinion of some other people, it's very obvious to me that when Stargate closed in 1995, right at that moment like it's it's basically the skinwalker like um bigelow stuff is like picks it back up it's just like a mm. grafting of the same exact thing and they it's just not called stargate anymore but uh yeah so um let yeah. me make sure i can like close up about her but um taff also makes a claim that these these like even though West came in and sh he says that West came in and shut down the lab because like basically because like all this stuff was breaking with MK Ultra at that exact same time and it was going to be an embarrassment. Um, and but then he also separately makes a claim that they actually just moved offices and that this continued into the 80s. Um I'm sorry. Go, go. What were you going to say? Go ahead. Well, I had a little bit oh, cool. on Moss too, actually. Good. Um, and I would, at first I was like, no, this couldn't make sense. But then I realized in the Ghostbusters film, there is that poster of Marilyn Monroe. And I didn't know what they oh. were saying with that. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So thelma moss being the parapsychologist to the stars but let me note first of all moss was born in connecticut which means she's probably rich some sort of silk topper background she married a like a hollywood producer i'm pretty sure right something yeah. like that and so okay i want to note this so thelma mm. moss in new york i think was a member of the actor's studio marilyn monroe was a member of the actor what studio. is that so that is this really interesting thing because it was like it was not geared towards movie acting it was much more oriented around plays in new york city for the most part but a lot of actors film actors eventually kind of like either came out of it or went to it and then came back but like they were doing some very interesting dare i say occult oriented practices for their <laughs> actors they were teaching the stanislavsky method which was this russian guy who was teaching this form of like 
acting let me see here uh it's it basically like it can be very emotionally turbulent for actors and it relies a lot on intuition and drawing on the subconscious for actors to like almost be almost like channeling you know Mm -hmm. and it gets into other esoteric areas like uh exploring the idea of prana which is like a whole thing from like you know indian philosophy basically but so thelma and moss and marilyn monroe probably knew each other from then and then you know they both go to california and so okay so get this so marilyn monroe was in the movie east of eden which i think filmed in about (laughs) 1954 and she was in that with james dean then Thelma Moss met James Dean and predicted his death a week what? later in 1955. No. Marilyn Monroe and James Dean were on the same movie so, together. They knew each other and maybe dated. And then he dies in September 1955. <sighs> That's not to say that that means anything per se, but they, the three of them probably yeah. knew each other. And then, then Marilyn Monroe studies at UCLA and Thelma Moss is already. Oh, damn! At I didn't know UCLA. she. What did she? What did she study there? She was, I think, auditing courses in literature for the most part. Uh, that we. Oh know my of. goodness! So, what, and this would have been. When would that have been? The the, the Monroe was at UCLA. So let's see here. I have a biography up here. Because <laughs> I'm just like. There has to be some Marilyn Monroe reason. Oh my God. So, okay. So Marilyn Monroe was auditing classes in 1951. I'm not sure about Thelma's uh, timeline. Do you know if she was at, at so UCLA? Just on my notes, I have, she's there in 1960 as the earliest. So she, it could be earlier, but like, yeah, but the yeah. LSD experiments are actually in the 50s. So, Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm trying to figure it out but like i guess the point is that they probably knew each other because they were in more than one of the same milieus and i don't know i can't square the circle here and she was like and like you said she was kind of the parapsychologist to the stars and there's like a lot of like hollywood links there Mm -hmm. um and as far as Marilyn I mean, at that same time, like, obviously, as as I've mentioned <laughs> in aberration, like, you know, West is and have other people have long mentioned, you know, ex- conducting experimental studies in the phenomenology of dissociation, multiple personalities. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, like, I had this whole thread, a lo- like, a couple of years ago where basically, like, Stanislavski was like interested in Metterlink, who wrote the play The Blue Bird, and that is the name of an MK okay. Ultra program. And the Stanislavski method is basically doing the types of things that Project Blue Bird studied. So, like, there is something here. I just I can't right. make it like I can't like slam my fist down and say I solved it, but so. One of the things that 
is really frustrating. Like I, like I, you know, I read this book, Cinema in the Psychic Realm, or you know, I've I've read these other books, and they're kind of like mainstream, like talking about parasite, and it'll be like it'll just always focus on SRI, but like right, there's this. So they might even sometimes in passing mention UCLA, but because it was like the entity was a famous case, but like, yeah, I don't know why they don't ever, ever go deep enough. This is the intertwining mm -hmm. of, of, of these labs. And you can't tell me that, that UCLA. So, okay. So Barry Taff, who was under Thelma Moss, who later becomes a UFO disinformationist, in my opinion, he claims that West came in and shut down the lab. And he, he at one point, is like, it describes this horrible nightmare uh, he had about Jolly West and, like, who he knew. And also, but then, like, predict or, like, somehow developed a telepathic link with Jolly West. Like, but anyways, that aside... Um, the thing is, is that in the Stargate program, at the very end, like uh, in its last incarnation as Stargate, Jolly West was like involved in that. He is mentioned on their declassified um, documents as providing <laughs> medical oversight. Um, mm, you know, comforting. like why him? Why? Why of all the like doctors isn't he a busy guy like he's got his hands on a lot of pies why would you pick him um so so, so yeah wow he's just got a very unique bedside manner <laughs> he's jolly after all the french are glad to die for love they delight in fighting duels but I prefer a man who lives and gives expensive jewels. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. A kiss may be grand, but won't pay the rental on your humble flat or help you at the automat. Men grow cold as girls grow old, and we all lose our charms in the end. But square cut or pear shape, these rocks don't lose their shape. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Tiffany's Cartier Black Star Frost Gorham Talk to me Harry Winston Tell me all about it There may come a time When a lass needs a lawyer But diamonds are a girl's best friend there may come a time when a hard-boiled employer thinks you're awful nice. But get that ice or else no dice. He's your guy when stocks are high. But beware when they start to descend. It's then that those louses go back to their spouses. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. 
gonna as far as the library I, i'm just gonna and then i will i i swear i promise i'll move on we the first case they pick up is the new york public library um you know it, it's it's described as having grand architecture unlike anything else home to home to an impressive collection of paranormal books there are and i'm not gonna go i was i'm not going to there's there's like legends about it being haunted um and so those lions, that very the very first lion we see, where are we? I lost myself in my notes here. Those lions, one is named Patience, Patience and one is named Fortitude. We see the one named Fortitude. Um, they're supposed to be like the gatekeepers of the New York Public Library. Um, they were originally not named Patience and Fortitude. Um, in 1911, I guess, Apparently, when they were put there, um, they they were endowed like it was the Astor family, the library's founders, mm. and those lions were named after members of the Astor family. And a major benefactor of the Roundtable Foundation, Puerich, was Alice Astor Bouvier, heiress to John Jacob Astor the fourth um who i believe is the was the person who like endowed those lions but um he himself wrote about esp and he died in the titanic uh he wrote about space traveling people who could communicate telepathically i guess he that's one of the early civilian funders like maybe it's a cutout maybe it isn't but like that aster connection to so those lions um are only only later when LaGuardia, mm. like after the 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 um, stock market crash, then they become named Patience and Fortitude. Interestingly, there's a tarot card, the the card of the strength card is a woman taming a lion, and sometimes it is called Fortitude. But whatever, on um, the New York Public Library, one per. Wait, sorry, Wendy. What were the original names? They, then? All I know is that they were I named after that. the Astor family. Um, be- because there was a person that oh, like okay. because it was her father, um, Alice's father that endowed like 
funded the building of those lion those two lions um i just thought it was because i was like aster wait they're connected to Poorich, but also i don't believe that they you would just there's a reason that lion's there i don't know what it really is like maybe it's just a nice shot but um i just kind of got hung. no but it like it totally sets up yeah. the whole film as like this is basically a bunch of fuckery from these evil rich people haunting America. <laughs> that was one of the first links I made when we where we first decided to do this. And I kind of spent too much time on, on the New York Public Library because, yeah, yeah, it does. It sets it up. And because there's two of them, the idea of the pillars, like these these gateways and these entrances, we only see one of those lions. But like that's symmetrical kind of architecture and um you know gargoyles and pillars and stuff that that does run throughout Ghostbusters. Like it's the first instance of seeing that because those those two lions are are like the gatekeepers basically. Um, um just real quick, Charles Fort spent an exhaustive amount of time in the New York Public Library. In fact, that's like where he was writing his books. That's where he researched his cases. Manley P. Hall, um same same thing um mm, a rich history there. yeah um uh, uh oh really well moss will come up one more time uh later with well, i'll get to it later baby but um uh bell labs okay well really quick when they go out of business um in in an earlier script in like a couple versions of earlier scripts they're they're going out of business and this is when they're like the defense science the, the next best defense science um at that in in one of the scripts as that conversation is happening this is really weird <laughs> there's a scene well as as ray and peter are going back and forth about this egon hot wires like a payphone at he basically and he patches in to Bell Labs, specifically Bell Labs computer, and talks to somebody there and confirms that they can capture ghosts. And then he reports he's like, Yeah, they said we could. Um, and now that's where that's where you get into mm. ac at you could get into Ackroyd. But um just I just want to mention that, like even just remembering it for later. Um and also, like one of the major SRI guys, also connected to to Bell Labs. Um, I'm let's get let's. I'm just gonna skip all this because you'll go into the Ackroyds and and Bell Labs. Okay, moving on. So, Ghostbusters. So now you know. Now they're in business. They've and there's a scene like the next part of this movie um we see this building it's kind of cool creepy looking um and it's got these kind of gargoyleish they're called terror dogs and this woman comes home and she's like putting her groceries away and all of a sudden there's um poltergeist type activity like her food starts cooking itself like the eggs jump out but she she doesn't know she's got like her back turned, um, and she she goes to put something in her refrigerator while behind her back like this shit is hitting the fan and uh, with the eggs, and, and she she opens her refrigerator 
and inside is is not her food but another dimension it's a temple a strange temple looking thing and there's a a terror dog it's called like this strange creature that kind of looks like a dog resting at the temple doors and he's got horns and then there's a cement another one and and she just hears this voice and it says Zool. and um and she like screams and and she, <laughs> so she goes and talks to the ghostbusters because she happened to see a an ad on the tv and it's the three ghostbusters because the, there's still there are only three ghostbusters winston hasn't come on board yet and then and the commercial is kind of iconic um you know i don't know you could play the audio maybe when you edit it it's like are you troubled yeah by it's strange yeah it'll be better if like you just you know i love that line we're ready to believe you yeah <laughs> yeah that's so it speaks so much i feel that way a lot like you know in our in our i guess i don't know scene or whatever you want to call it like we you know some things are just like known but like i feel like i'm you know i'm ready to believe like just normal people like it might sound crazy but you know i think there was a guy following me and i'm like i'm ready mm -hmm. to believe you <laughs> um, that's a great yeah iconic line um so okay so we see ghostbusters now like they have a car it's called the ecto one um they, they have a secretary um and she's sitting at her desk and she's reading people weekly magazine and uh egon's there trying to fix her computer and uh and the magazine she's reading shows a date of uh, July 23, 1984 issue of People Weekly. On the cover of that is about Karen Silkwood. It's it's because that movie had just come um, out. Um, and the geez. article from the real, like, like that's a, the, the article is who, yeah, it's like, a, it's about Karen Silkwood uh, and shares portrayal of her which when we begin to like talk about possibly chemical weapons and uh, some of the techniques the ghostbusters are using or maybe what some of these ghosts possibly are um you know i just felt it was i felt it was interesting well i will just point out um uh, what was uh egon's second phd in nuclear uh physics yeah, nuclear he's, he's a physicist yeah nuclear physics yep mm, he, later yeah, he specializes in quantum physics but that's mm. later yeah. yeah, he just decides to go from sus to more sus, huh? That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm. That's why I'm sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, maybe maybe for the listener, if if they're not familiar with the Karen Silkwood case, um, she was a, a, a union organizer um who uh, was uh, killed uh, by the Care McGee um thugs that uh, were slowly poisoning her with uh, with radiation. Um, I think they 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 put plutonium in her uh in her house like they hid it in her fridge and stuff but they, they then killed her in a car crash ran her off the road wait in her fridge oh huh? god oh kind of similar to the uh yeah Zool or whatever yeah because ooh, that's weird um i still haven't read that i need to read that book in fact as we're talking i'm 
I'm just going back. I'm just going to get it. Um, it's a book. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's really good, and it gives a good background history on on Karen McGee and and nuclear, uh, the like the the Atomic Energy Commission in general as well. Which book? Because I might get Killing it as of well. Karen Silkwood. Uh, hmm. By um, Richard. Rash. Yeah. Yeah, it's been long recommended, and it, it's just I, I haven't because I know I know it's going to be a hard one to read as far as like, and then the McGees. I I'm not prepared to talk about it now, but like that's a sus family that comes into Oklahoma City stuff actually. Um, you know, it kind of indirectly, mm. but it's there. Yeah, I'm gonna get this. Um, so radiation, yeah. Um, and in fact, well, okay. Yeah, good, good, good. Thank you. Um, yeah, so there's like, so I don't know, they could have picked any. And maybe that's just, maybe it's just synchronicity. Maybe that's just what happened to be laying around and they used it as a prop. But there's too many things in here that I, I think that the, the cinematographer, and I am blanking out on the name. I just don't know that some of these, things i do not like that poster in the background i'm yeah no it's because like i looked at like their club hangout and there are not a bunch of things in the background but there were in their laboratory like at the beginning of the film so like when something when some nugget like that is in there for sure it's not just like a random or like a random edition of people um yeah it, there's a like i think there's a couple there's a couple things in their in their like yeah their firehouse but um yeah uh, so yeah, so yeah. dana so she's like oh my god there's like this fucked up thing in my refrigerator so she she goes to the ghostbusters and of course egon hooks her up to aura video something called that the ghostbuster like fans like calls an aura video analyzer and it's got like electrodes on her head and, and it's monitoring her brain and it's like projecting images of her brain into a, a tv screen um it's kind of like a brain scan polygraph because egon looks at it and he's like i believe she believe he says she's telling the truth at least she thinks she is um uh and she's telling them the story um and they they suggest like so ray suggests it could be a past life experience intruding on the present time egon mm -hmm. says it could oh, go. i i wrote that one down no it just no, no, interesting. okay yeah yeah like the so they suggest like okay this could be a couple things we don't know but yeah that's one of them do you want to say the things they suggest uh well no i just wrote down that one because it's like uh kind of speaks to the theosophical magical interests that are definitely you know subdued yeah and that one film. like that's i gotta think that one came from Ackroyd. um egon suggests it could be <laughs> and it's interesting that they all kind of suggest that they differ with our characters because egon says it could be erased memories stored in in the collective unconscious mm. but he would not rule out clairvoyance or telepathic contact 
Um, and Dana's like, I don't believe in those. And Bill Murray, uh, Bankman's like, me either. Um, so Ray suggests he could go down to the Hall of Records, um, which isn't that like kind of what they called like the theosophists called like the Akashic also record. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. It very much evokes Like why wouldn't you just say opinion. I'll go to the library or the, you know, archive. The city you know, hall like, or whatever. Anyways, yeah. he says that I'll go to the hall of records and check out the structural details of the building because the building itself could have a history of psychic disturbance. Um, in the declassified Stargate papers, it is interesting to note that the CIA was had interest in um, some of the literature, and one of them from 1980 to 83 was papers dealing with like poltergeists and their relationships to buildings, um, and understanding the diverse physical parameters of the building or place where disturbances occur, and useful to have mathematical model model of behavior and parts of the structure of the building, such as pillars, walls, foundations, um, and using photonic sensors to like um, analyze the buildings and their vibrations and acoustic effects. I I don't know, like I I just kind of jotted that down, but like that like you know just ray's really interested and in the plot correctly in the in the um actual structural building of the details of this building that dana lives in um egon says he'll look up the name zool in the usual literature um tobin spirit guide uh and, and then peter's like i'll go check out dana i mean dana's apartment so he goes over there and he and he checks it out and he doesn't find anything, but he continues to sexually harass her in ways that are just like if you if you read Barry Tapp's <laughs> book, like he talks like he'll be talking about people's cases he was investigating and being like she had a rack on her, like really it, like sleeping with the yeah, it's like really oh, fucking uncomfortable. But like the scene with Bill Murray is like yeah, he, I mean I don't know that 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 stuff wouldn't go over well now but like i guess in the 80s i was like haha that's funny i mean just her sexually harassed people but anyways that's just maybe neither here nor there um but so moving on ghostbusters get their first call and it's to go well they're waiting around and in the background are three arcade games, Missile Command, Star Castle, and Stargazer. So Ooh, good catch. Um, good catch. At fir- okay. So at first I was freaking out. Like I even sent you guys like, oh my God, Stargazer, because there was a game named Stargazer where people use psychic powers to fight their enemies. It was it's like a cyber punk themed RPG called um, sometimes Stargazer, sometimes Psychic City. Uh, set in New York City, where a supercomputer uh, has brainwashed the Earth's, po- Earth's population, um, and but it turns out that it's not the com- that the computer is um, controlled by sentient dolphins. But anyways, what the game 
And then I'm like, that doesn't make sense because the game was like, it's called one of the worst games in Japan, like one of the worst video games. But it it turns out, like, I was wrong. It's actually this other game called Stargazer, which was a pinball game. Um, and it's got like this hot gypsy type looking woman um, standing between two pillars um, and with like Zodiac constellations around her. Um, Sounds Mason. Yeah, uh, that's in the background. Missile Command is a game put out in 1980 uh, by Atari, released. Use a trackball to defend six cities in California from intercontinental ballistic missiles by launching anti-ballistic missiles. Mm. Um, um, That's such an insane propaganda <laughs> game for the. I know. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. It that was. Yeah, and uh, I guess the programmer of Missile Command, like, said he had, like, horrible nightmares as of, like, cities being destroyed by nuclear blasts. So so that's, so then they get the call, because they're just kind of eating, and those games are in the background, but of course, I'm like, what are those? But they get a call, like, oh, okay, we have a, we, we got one, we, they have a case, and they go to this Sedgwick Hotel, and the manager tells them, um, there's a disturbance on the 12th floor and like it's been acting up and we need you to, to figure what out and like take care of what's going on here. So they get in an elevator and they've got these like, I, I don't know how you would describe this. They're, they're called proton packs. Um, and these devices on their back. And Ray points out like, oh, well, we really haven't tested the equipment. And Peter's like, um, that's okay. We're just wearing, we're all just wearing unlicensed nuclear accelerators. So apparently Egon had created these nuclear accelerators. Um, the, the proton packs would kick out a proton beam. Uh, I'm not going to go into the, I w I looked up the physics of it just to try to understand like what this was coming from. Um, but whatever. Um, so they, they they get upstairs and they decide to all split up and like, you go that way, I'll go this way, you go that way. And Egon's walking down the hall with like a, his PKE meter and like he can't tell the difference between a, a ghost and a person because he's just like walking up to people taking readings on them. Uh, Ray sees this blob of this goo, this like big goo, uh, which we know now as Slimer. But um, it's like this big green mm -hmm. ectoplasmic entity that is like eating food, like shoving food in its mouth. Um, and it, and it, it, it kind of like flies away, and then it encounters Peter, and it, um, basically slimes him. It, it, it attacks him, and he's covered with ectoplasm. Um. And then Egon, of course, wants a sample. But uh, so they go in. They they end up using these devices to the, these proton packs to shoot at the Slimer. I guess maybe I'm not describing this right because now I'm like worried about time and I'm going too quick. But um, Egon says in the middle of this, they're like kind of battling with Slimer, trying to um, arrest him with these beam, these energy 
beams. Egon says, I forgot to tell you, <laughs> don't cross the streams. Um, and Peter's like, well, why, why shouldn't we cross our streams? And Egon's like, well, try to imagine all life as you know it, stopping instantly. Stopping instantaneously, probably better to just play the audio of you. Every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light, total protonic reversal. Um, total protonic reversal. You, you can you can look it up, but but some people did believe, I guess, that you know that the hadron collider, you know, that that it would create like something like a crossing mm -hmm. the stream effect of just like ripping apart space time same possibly with cern right i don't i don't i can't yeah. i'm not i'm not technical enough see i'm not egon it's because it's funny too because it, to me i thought about how in the manhattan project they didn't know if they were going to accidentally ignite the earth's like atmosphere and cause a fireball that would exterminate all life yeah so that's what i thought of although the what you suggest with cern and the haldron collider is also very interesting. and also yeah some people with cern thought like it's gonna open up a stargate or you know like a black hole and that theme comes up again uh, later on too of like um you know, these rips in the fabric of space-time. But anyways, Egon's like, you just don't do that. Just let's not do that. So uh, Ray puts down this thing, that I guess, that Egon and, and maybe Ray devised together. It's like this this trap, and um, they fire confi confinement streams. They wrangle Slimer, um, and they, 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 like, usher him into this little trap. Um, and they bring it out and they present it to the hotel manager and uh, he's like, what is it? And Ray explains, it's a focused non-terminal repeating phantasm or a class five full roaming vapor, a real nasty one too. Um, and like, and then there's the business sense. Peter's like, he's like, oh, let's talk serious now. This is going to come to you about five grand, which I thought I looked that up in 1980s money, but I guess I forgot to. And the, the the manager's like, I'm not paying five. I'm not paying that. Like, never mind. And he's like, that's fine. We can just put it right back. So they have this control. You know, they can wield the forces of of these like things that are are plaguing and terrifying people. Interestingly, <laughs> apparently, according to Ramus, um. Thelma Moss, after Ghostbusters came out, contacted Ramus and told him that Slimer was similar to a classic type of haunting known as a hungry ghost who eats food. Um, and Ramus said he thought that was a, quote, <laughs> nice coincidence. Oh, yeah, as if freaking Aykroyd didn't know yeah, that before. Like, yeah, why... <laughs> There's things like why lie about like Egon being related to to Russell Tard like some, some things I just or I don't know it's weird why it's not did you get up. because I just I actually somehow didn't learn about it until like a few days ago it was already too late like the the I guess Ackroyd wrote also a book called The History of Ghostbusters um I don't know what's in there but it probably would have been interesting. Um, did you get 
Yeah, I didn't read it. No, definitely would have been interesting. Yeah, and Dan Aykroyd, like with all his stuff, like first of all, he knows that that's a classification or whatever of a ghost, but um, I just can't imagine. There's links to be found here. There, there are links. If if a guy from Esalon was involved in the Blues Brothers, like, come on, there's, there's, there's stuff going on here. Um, mm-hmm. so this is when, 100%. so now the Ghostbusters, they have their first case. Now they like get a lot of attention and they become like the darlings of the media. And um, it's a really cool month. It's like, well, cool to me because I like went into detail on every single thing in there. But this montage plays, you might want to like just overlay it on the audio. Mm-hmm. But um, you see a few things. Um, One of which is like, it's like Dana. It be- The montage begins and Dana is just kind of like working out or something. She's, she's got her TV on and and like you see the the Ghostbusters like on all these television shows and stuff on her night table or on the table next to the TV when this montage begins is a book called Who's on First. The book is by William F. Buckley. It's it's a spy thriller. Mm. It's one of um, a series of several about a CIA operative who um, performs various Cold War functions, including like trying to kill Castro and the babe pigs and um um cutting Viet Cong supply lines in Vietnam uh to plot to assassinate Gorbachev I I don't know it's just like this weird like deep because you wouldn't think like Dana is probably a liberal I don't know for whatever reason she's reading he's not coded towards like being yeah like a <laughs> Buckley you could have put any book there. You could have put any book there, a ghost book or a Stephen King or whatever it would be. But like it was, it was that book. Which, mm-hmm. um, so we we hear newscasters saying that like all of a sudden that there's talk of paranormal incidences all over the East Coast and um ghost sightings and uh, related supernatural occurrences have been um spiking in the tri-state area. We see um, Larry King live. Um, he's he uh, he's talking. He says, and the phone topic today is ghosts and ghost busting, um, and the controversy builds as more sightings are being reported. Some maintain that these professional paranormal eliminators in New York City are actually the cause of it all. So he like suggests those like a false plan. Mm. <laughs> false flag um yeah no i love that so much because it's like just like how many things during this like cold war period where it's like the drug traffickers are the people fighting drugs or something the people who like supposedly fight terrorism are like doing false flags (laughs) like this is such a this is such a thesis point i think for this episode it definitely is and it was one of it was like one of those original like little like like ideas that yeah yeah that i'm like someday at the end of my life yeah definitely that's i mean it's central really because what is the ghostbusters relationship to science and 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 these phenomena 
you know, really, what is it really? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I know I get so excited. I get so attached to these little details. It's hard for me to know what's what, what, mm-hmm. how to prioritize because this is all crazy. Um, I haven't you know, even got mm-hmm. the thing about um, Ray Stans mentioning that he saw uh, a mass migration of sponges. Oh, the- good. I and, cut and- that out for time. So why don't oh, you we'll- say? Because we passed that point. Why don't you talk about that? Well, we'll, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Okay. Okay. It, yeah. It ties, in, it ties in with the stuff that I wanted to. I wanted to t- connect to the um oh, to the, cool. the Ackroyd family itself. Uh, okay. Experiment mm. psychology. I do think we'll have to work together, Reed, when we talk about the Ackroyd family, because for sure, I think I have the outline, and then we'll have to bring you in yeah. at several points. Oh my goodness! You know. Mm, okay. So we're they talking. They had no about, idea no, we were going to do. Like your listeners are like, "Oh my god!" I thought this was like a fun <laughs> thing, a fun Halloween special. They don't even. Um, know. At one point, they're like, "Well, this is irrelevant." But to me, it's like personally, I don't know. It's uh, 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 someone's interviewing Ray in this montage of media, and they're like, "There's one question on everyone's mind: How is Elvis? And have you seen him lately?" It that's in 1980 three or four like that was salient because apparently that was when like Elvis sightings like became popularized like but anyways Mm. in a deleted scene and I think it was like the second perhaps the last script a guy from um, United Press International New York is like doing an interview and he says that the Ghostbusters busted a ghost in a huge flying tigers cargo plane at an airport runway. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, really? And I was like, God damn it. Yeah. And that's cut out, (laughs) but that's in the original script and that in an original script. And that's what I mean about like these other scripts not being separated, but uh, from, from the understanding a fly really of all things, really a flying tiger's cargo plane there's a there's a spook there's a ghost in it yeah yeah more yeah exactly <laughs> uh for the i guess we'll have to uh, i i guess we have to yeah, you go this, ahead. Right? Yeah. uh the short version right i mean my listeners probably yeah. are vaguely familiar with the flying tigers but that was i want to say world war ii when there way there was a uh quasi-private uh air force in southeast asia that eventually kind of became i think maybe more than one private airline that was like a cia cutout that was definitely involved in drug trafficking among other things like logistics flying it became i think civil air transport and there was like one or two other companies and they you know clear cia ties clear drug trafficking ties but it came out like, of the why would who put that in the draft because that's one of the ones that wasn't Akrid's original script but that's one of the subsequent so it could have been it yeah. could have been or but like somebody chose that like i i have a theory i don't know i want to run it past you to both like reitman yeah you know because it just feels like a 
Hollywood producer would be more keyed into like, and Reitman was a right wing Republican. So like, yes, for huh. sure. So like he knowing some of that stuff that kind of like, it isn't clearly like an uh, accurate no. concern. And then I don't, I'm not as familiar with Ramis, but like, uh, yeah. And adds on that, then I bet you like, if that's, if that whole, if that's true, then, then he's probably also the one to put the Buckley book there. Yeah. I wasn't going to say, but that's my guess yeah, as well. Track. Um, and by the way, like my, our friends, um, I can't pronounce it. MBA Oxa. She, her grandfather, I, I like, we went to, um, actually went to talk to Douglas Valentine recently. We were, and I'm talking to her mom, and her mom's like telling me like all these stories. And her mom tells me that her father was in flying, or, well, her name's Dee, but Dee told me that later. But her, her, her grand, Dee's grandfather, MBA Oxa, disappeared and i know i can talk about this because she put it out there on twitter like his plane disappeared um and it was never solved and uh, it was flying tigers like uh, it's like this really strange disappearance of a, a plane mm. which like if anyone listening to this has any information about that i know she's trying to look for it but like yeah on the topic of flying tigers like and i found that right after we yeah. got back from that trip and i was like that's crazy because basically general claire chanel was heading that the flying tigers and then i want to say was it oh fuck who was the lawyer who helped set up disneyland reed help me oh my god no i don't name? go ahead i'm sorry oh my god yeah, no, because he basically was involved. Do you know in the that SRI company. was like fundamental in setting up Disneyland? Okay, okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking it up. <sighs> yeah, okay. Actually, did you know Disney designs the Chenault's Flying Tigers logo? Or <laughs> 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 one more. Uh, Disney was contracted yeah. to um, build um, uh, 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 like uh, camouflaged um, air bases um, for the U.S. Air Force. Um, sometime, I think they were they were consulted in um, both the Second World War on that, um, but also then later um, in the in the seventies or eighties. Um, this is mentioned in um, the book uh, Dreamland by um, Phil Paxton. Um, mm -hmm. Disney put out in 1964 as I was prepping this, um, Walt Disney, uh, it's called, it's, I sent you guys this, uh, the misadventures of Merlin Jones. This is 1964. It's a college student experiments with mind reading and hypnotism, um, but with a helmet using, um, EEG ta tape that records his mental imagery and enables him to read minds. He uh, ends up uh, where is this? He okay. 
working on a premise that no honest person could be made to do anything they would not do otherwise, especially commit a crime. Um, this the main character Merlin, who does these like cybernetic, like weird ESP stuff. Um, he gets involved with this case. Um, he hypnotizes the judge. There's a judge that gets hypnotized to commit a crime against their will. I don't know. Anyways, that's a Disney movie, and it's like a kids movie from 1964, <laughs> which is like right around yeah like disney uh yeah okay so i looked it up it was paul heller uh, and wild bill donovan who were lawyers God. for civil air transport and they worked directly with disney to for a whole <laughs> bunch of shit so like there is this far right or i guess you could just say center right for the u.s but like this right-wing hollywood nexus and it dates back to disney being a fucking police snitch right but like Basically, there's something here going on with this. Yeah. Like, Reitman being involved. <laughs> I'm like, glad we're going to yeah. actually, I'm kind of glad we're going to pick. Uh, I got to be careful, but like. Don't yeah, no, you're right. I, I actually, I, yeah, I shouldn't. But I am <laughs> like, I was like, I, one day I spent like, I don't know, too long trying to find links like documented links between Reitman and SLS, uh, Ramos and SLS. Yeah, like mm -hmm. it's so hard to get good stuff on okay. Reitman. I didn't find a lot. No, of and I knew that you. was yours, but I just got like obsessed. So I just, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I did not. I did not. No, I mean, I'm glad to know that you also didn't have nope. a lot of success because, like, I just couldn't find any freaking sources on this guy. Okay, well that's so frustrating to me i hate that <laughs> that makes me like uh, yeah, this drives mm -hmm. me crazy i'll try to forget about it um ghostbusters you're, it's this montage they run out of like ro they're running at rockefeller center they run past a prometheus statue him a battler of the gods mm -hmm. through hidden science um yeah so which is like basically what ghostbusters end up doing um blah 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 so I guess yeah for the montage there's a there's several uh, magazine covers like popular magazines at the time um including you know USA Today mm -hmm. New York Post the Globe but there's one which really I got I spent too long on it's this magazine that used to be popular then called Omni and that was kind of like like a men's magazine but for like with science stuff um I guess is but um, in the Ghostbusters, the cover of the magazine has their proton pack and it says quantum leaps, <laughs> Ghostbusters, tools of the trade. So I was like, well, what was the actual October 1984 issue? Because it shows October 1984. And then that, that like produced so much stuff like that one was an anniversary special. It featured a very long interview with Ronald Reagan about his <laughs> projections of what the future looks like. It, it, it has Stanley Milgram, like an article. It's got John G. Fuller talking about Betty and Barney Hill, um, UFOs, um, the case in France, like the mass hallucinogenic case, um, which I didn't somehow write down the name of the town. Um, 
when when the interviewer asks Fuller, well, what do you think your next book or like, what's the next topic you're going to cover? Because this guy like, wrote about some crazy stuff, but kind of in a way I felt maybe as like a cover. I, I know Reed knows a little bit more about this guy. But anyways, he says particle physics seem to be the biggest like thing like uh the closer science examines matter, the more it appears to be non-existent. There's an uh, article about UFO abductees, suggestibility and hypnosis in that issue. There's an article by Stanley Milgram. There's um, a small little write-up about this guy. It's called Breakthroughs flash blaster working out of a san diego laboratory physicist john asmus a pioneer in laser applications develops a cheap homemade laser that blasts apart um and vaporizes chemicals using light he calls it the flash blaster there's only seven in the world you can make it in your basement um and it's it goes on and on about uh applied physics and and creating this Basically, I don't know what I wouldn't. I don't know if it's a proton pack, but I was like, huh, I wonder. I wonder if this is like, I, I, I don't understand. But he says he's now being swamped with requests, like from military contractors, um, Air Force, Army, and the nuclear power industry for this flash blaster. And then there's lastly on that Omni issue, there's an article called Superman's Hologram. Um, talking about the current state and advances being made in holographic technology to project moving images and store data. Um, mentions Oak Ridge mm. National Laboratory. Um, says eight years prior, Philips Research Lab in Germany could project a moving image of a Jaguar uh, and it could jump out at you and it was realistic. So there's some like weird relevant, directly relevant stuff in that issue. The montage ends with Ray, who basically is like, I guess, I don't know if it's rape, but he has a sexual encounter um, with a ghost and ghost blowjob. Blow wait, 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 real quick. Can job. I add something about, yeah. can I? Yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Can, we, can I add oh, something yeah, yeah, about please. Omni Magazine? So it was founded oh. by Bob Guccione, who founded oh. Penthouse. Super mobbed up guy, by the way. And can I just note, first of all, they published what I guess you could charitably call like exactly the same sort of interests and in people that Ira Einhorn was targeting. Um, and then also I note, Reed, that they published excerpts from Stephen King's novel Firestarter. Huh. So, you know, our ongoing fixation with that and how on earth did they know about fucking Puharich type like how did they know about so, the farm you know it it appeared in the fucking omni magazine that's really upsetting i don't like that in, in 1979 charlie rose who was like totally tied in with the the sri stuff he does a large a long mm -hmm. interview in omni too talking giving a strong pitch mm. for more government funded sci research hmm Charlie Rose came up in our episodes, oh, yeah. didn't it, Reed? Holy shit. So, and then just kind of relatedly to the gifted kid 
underage shit. Penthouse, of course, got in trouble for publishing Tracy Lords when she was certainly underage. So I'm just I'm I'm just saying interesting to note these different things. Um I'll I'll quickly add just one thing, Wendy, because you mentioned that oh. Omni ran an article about um advances in hologram technology and holographic yeah. data. So that was a 1984 edition of Omni magazine, right? Oh yeah, yeah, October 84. Okay. So um uh, obviously there's a lot of research into um holographic projection tech nowadays, but um that research uh continued um through the 80s and and into the mid 90s at least until it kind of got rebooted in the in the 2010s or or went dark. Um but there was a DARPA funded consortium um to develop holographic data storage um and retrieval technology um in the mid 90s that brought together a bunch of different research universities brought IBM in um Hughes Aircraft uh, was was one of the partners on the project as well, um, and um, as as we get into um, or as, as we've mentioned already, the kind of like uh, Project Blue Beam, um, maybe the ghosts are uh, psychotronic weapons or holograms. That's something yeah. that very much the uh, uh, American military was interested in in, in developing and and actively um, poured money into. Um, and in, in, in into the nineties. Um, so that, that program definitely continued. I think nowadays Apple holds all the patents that resulted, um, from that particular project, uh, which is, um, probably not good considering they're rolling out mixed reality headsets soon. Right. Wow. So I, yeah, I, cause, because you are, Ian, and I'm not like, I was like, Oh, I was wondering, like, um, I don't know that much about the, the holographics of only that, like conceivably that's how you would <laughs> blue beam. Um, but not familiar with the ins and outs. Uh, huh. So yeah, that, that article actually also talks about storage and that's 84, but it says like, we can already like project moving images. Oh, one detail I forgot. Um, the, yeah, absolutely. No, the hologram technology has been um, pretty sophisticated for a while, um, more than, so than I think even is reported in, in mainstream press. The that DARPA consortium I mentioned that was taking place in the in the mid '90s. Um, it was also done in partnership with the Stanford Research Institute. Um, they hosted um, a couple of retreats for them at a uh, SRI owned uh, compound up at uh, Lake Tahoe. Ooh, I want to know more about this place. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so look, when when I when I suggest like when maybe part of the alternate reading, not maybe, but when part of the alternate reading of Ghostbusters is like, you ever think that maybe the that like, yeah, th these are not actually ghosts, but like, yeah, psychotronic weapons. Like, we're not totally crazy. <laughs> we're not totally <laughs> crazy. <laughs> um, now, on to the ghost. Oh, well, that's, that, I mean, that's it. It was like, I think, it, I guess it was Raymond or <laughs> I, I already went past that in the notes, but yeah, like, that's how that yeah. montage ends as a sexual encounter. That was actually supposed to be a much larger <laughs> scene in the script. Um, yeah, where oh, where they go to a military like a decommissioned um military base but it's like revolutionary war and like ray puts on all the uniforms and accidentally falls asleep and has like this whole sexual encounter and actually dan Aykroyd, i think it was wanted to have like 
the love interest be a just um embodied spirit uh but like it, it just it survives in the movie we have as him just having this encounter with a ghost and either Ramos or right one or the other maybe right someone's like we thought it would be a great idea if he had a psychic blowjob <laughs> yeah that's all i had so to say. but it was going to be originally at a military base and it was much that's so freaking it's, it's weird. very on brand though for dan Aykroyd to try to slip in a ghost love interest for himself in this <laughs> not surprising at all yeah 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 really actually like and i guess the listeners will understand why but like yeah it isn't surprising and then he might even have one actually i know he's married but who knows uh uh yeah so so this is when we uh see like the ghostbusters now are like mobbed because for whatever reason the supernatural activity in in the tri-state area is like surging and they they are the only people in the game like uh, they've got the market cornered and so they're really busy so they um this guy comes in it's winston zedemore and he's being interviewed and the the secretary again probably better just overlay the audio but she's like you believe in ufos astral projection mental telepathy esp clairvoyance spirit photography telekinetic movement full trance mediums the Loch Ness monster or the theory of atlantis and winston says i'll believe anything if the if, if paycheck goes steady um all of those things are like <laughs> totally accurate things this also read isn't that like the list of things that brad steger would ask people to write in and <laughs> tell him about Absolutely. I think there's a 100% chance that Dan Aykroyd's got a huge collection of uh, of Steger books. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things, except maybe, but and even then, because I think the Loch Ness Monster has something to do with Crowley, too, like, or there's some whatever, like, something, I don't remember, that's from years ago. But, like, all of those things are interesting topics, Um yeah, and he starts with UFOs. But uh, so we don't really know, like you pointed out earlier, and uh, and why, you know, one reason Winston's not in the, wasn't in the poll. We don't really know that much about Winston. We just know that Winston shows up. That's all we get to see. However, in the earlier drafts, Winston yeah. has a, has a much, much, uh, well, he's got an interesting background. And so, Initially, he was really actually um, applying for a security guard position, and he, and in, in variations of the draft, like he is interviewed by by Peter, is interviewed by Ray, but he he talks about his background. So it turns out that Winston did five years in the U.S. Air Force Police, um, assigned to administer perimeter and then like i guess after assigned to administer perimeter security at reese strategic air command base he mustered out as a captain his credentials include electronic countermeasures he designed electronic (laughs) barrier systems for century alarms he ended up as vp of tactics and training and I, i I guess I don't know if that's a division or a name of a company at their Pacific head Pacific headquarters until the offices closed. He's a small arms expert 
He's a, a qualified, award-winning weapons handler. He's a black belt in karate and a master in Wing Chun Kung Fu. Um, and, and, and Peter tells him, like, he's overqualified for the security guard position. But, like, in the real movie, the, he's just hired on the spot. But, like, so, so that's, I guess, later we learn that maybe Winston knows the Bible. He, he is raised, he has been related, he's been raised, like, I think it was Baptist. I think he says that in a Ghostbusters 2 draft. But, like, he knows the Bible. But, like, that's really all we know about him. So, so he is an expert in electronic countermeasures. Um, yeah. Sensors and sensors. Several notes, obviously. That's extremely relevant and interesting. Uh, just a minor detail with Wing Chun, however. I mean, I think, Wendy, you may or may not be on record publicly as a Kung Fu enthusiast. I love Kung Fu. Yeah. So we're talking it man obviously is the oh yeah touch point for, for that yeah. But I also note Wing Chun was taught in Brooklyn by a man named Jason Lau who would later teach at Warbell's Camp Cobra. Oh. Did so he teach Wing Chun there? He taught Wing Chun. I Maybe didn't say that explicitly. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So between New York and just it being Wing Chun, it's like, okay, was he, was Winston trained by the hand-to-hand -hand combat expert for Camp Cobra? <laughs> oh, my God. Because he's kind of, right, he's kind of like out-of-work defense professional. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. That was Wing <laughs>
Get high.